everyone. Welcome to another episode of Failure Friday, where we talk to friends, clients, and complete strangers about how failure has shaped them in their professional or personal lives and propelled them forward. Today, we are talking to my friend, Micah Wiley. She works in the IT service industry within the healthcare industry with a specialization in data analytics. But what she's passionate about, and you would see this very quickly, if you went to her social media, which I'll give you that at the end of this conversation, is fitness. And she is a fitness fiend. That's how I would describe you. Uh, she, I would, Your side hustle, right, is personal training. That's what you do for fun? Yes, yes. Side hustle is personal training. How are you finding those clients right now? Um, honestly, most of my clients come through social media online. I post a lot of my workouts, so people find me through whatever the algorithm is, reels, whatever it is, um, and just send me a message, and then I write custom programs from there. How are you charge, like invoicing that service? I didn't know you did that. Yeah, so it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of more low-key laid back. I want to eventually build out an entire model where you have kind of a one-stop shop where you can kind of customize your program according to your goals, strength, hypertrophy, whatever it is. But right now I only do custom, so depending on what it is and the client and the time and the length of the program, that's kind of how I decide how to charge. Um, all within reason and within a certain range. And then as far as invoicing, I just kind of use Venmo. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, I'm not sure how the how Venmo calculates taxes and 1099s and, and what have you, but I've heard good things. I mean, it's a very easy workaround. I don't know what we would have done with side hustles before smart pay. Like, could you imagine doing what you're doing 10 years ago, how much more difficult it would be. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, honestly, with COVID, the impact that it had on personal training, so I would meet people in town um, at whatever gym they go to as well, but with my work schedule, like my corporate work schedule, and then traveling, I didn't really have as much time to be consistent with meeting people face-to-face, -face. but then COVID really pushed the need for virtual training. You couldn't, you, I mean, you couldn't meet anybody, and then the gyms were shut down, so you kind of had to get creative. So I can't imagine 10 years ago when you didn't have oh, any yeah. invoicing, and then you had to be in person. It would definitely be a word of mouth business. I mean, it still is. Referrals go a long way. Yeah, social media helps too. But speaking of fitness, our how I know Micah is both of our husbands play for the Jaguars, but we're not going to name drop because I don't know about you, but I that's probably my biggest pet peeve with being associated with someone in the NFL is that it just automatically dilutes any accomplishment that you make on your own. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I agree. I'm very big on when I meet people, especially in a professional setting, I try and leave it out for as long as possible. <laughs> as long as possible, because then the conversation always, always diverts to, oh my God, who are they? How long have they played? Oh my God, how'd you guys meet? And then it's just like, your chopped liver. I mean, that's how I felt. It's definitely a huge pet peeve of mine. And I'm probably speaking for a lot of girlfriends, wives, and significant others when I say that. But personal favorite um one liner that i usually get after people find out is oh can you get me tickets i'm like uh <laughs> this is awkward yeah but then what i say is oh yeah but you have to pay for them because we have to pay. people don't realize that we still have to pay for those tickets we don't get them for free and when i say that they're always shocked they're like what i'm like yeah they also stay in a hotel before a game and they have to pay for that too yeah. yeah, people ask for merchandise, they ask for tickets, they ask to meet him, for signed things. People will bring it, like, to meet me at the gym or something, they'll bring footballs and be like, hey, take this home and get it signed. I'm like, this is so awkward. Yeah, and I get that what their, their job is really cool. I always have to, like, balance that, but I just feel like boundaries when people realize that you're associated with someone that does something in the limelight, they just, they just go out the door, like, which is and we're not gonna spend any more time talking about it. That's how I know Micah, and this is about Micah. So how did you end up in your field or your career? And you can talk about the personal training, you can talk about your corporate job. I mean, that's a very specific corporate job in your description. Yeah, 
Yeah, so that's not something you just get hired for right out of college. And it's not honestly something that you dream of. It's not like when you're younger, you're like, I'm gonna be in IT services. Um, so it's definitely a little bit different, but I would say I went to UF for school, and this is relevant, um, but I went to UF and then I graduated probably a year, year and a half early from that. I'm a little bit of a nerd, so I took like probably 18, 20 hours each semester, and I did every semester, summer semester, and then I also worked. So when I finished school, I was kind of burnt out, um, and I put all postgraduate work on hold. I was kind of considering medical school, maybe PA school, something like that. I really love medicine and health and fitness, both from my own journey as an athlete, and then I did have some injuries that got me really into orthopedics. Um, so then I graduated and I kind of wasn't sure where to go, what to do. I did take an initial job working with stem cells and PRP and that was very cool, but it just wasn't the right fit. So during my so break- So cool, what? Yeah, yeah, during my break, my dad had suggested this company. I work for a company called Tech Systems and we're an IT services and staffing company. So I did start out as a recruiter and I was recruiting on Java developers, but again, me being a bit of a nerd, I kind of take everything to the next level. So I learned a lot about Java, front end, back end, APIs, coding. I started to take coding, like coding courses and then... Oh wait, pause, pause, pause. So you were telling us before my alarm to drink a protein chain went off that uh, what, how you got into what you're, I mean, that was a long list already. I, that's a long journey to what you're doing now. So start start from the top again. Okay, so start back when I was at school. So you left school, you immediately, due to your uh, your journey as an athlete, which I didn't realize you were an athlete. What did you play? What did you do? Yeah, I did volleyball, basketball, and track. Um, and that was like high school stuff. And then I played volleyball most seriously, I guess. I did AAU basketball. I only did school track, but I did club and school volleyball. Um, I went to the Junior Olympics a few times, which was pretty cool. And then I got injured. Did you have a life? Did I what? Have a life, like that's a lot. Um, yeah, I'm a bit of a nerd, I don't know. I. It's so funny because I hear people tell stories now about like their high school experience or college experience and mine was totally not like that. But I didn't realize that I wasn't like that until they said it and I was like, man, maybe I was a little bit nerdy. Um, I really just work, work out, and did schoolwork. I didn't really, I wasn't a big partier um, at all. So yeah, so then after that left school, I studied physiology and kinesiology, um, and then I studied international studies in German with a focus on political systems of the EU. Whoa. So kind of, yeah, kind of all over everywhere. Um, I really loved the political stuff, but I also, I love health and fitness. I'm very big on perspective in health and wellness. So this is kind of maybe a side topic, but the reason that I kind of moved into that, and I think that's why I am in the exact like specified area of my work in wellness, um, I guess healthcare and analytics is because when I was playing volleyball, I tore both labrums in my hips both sides. So I had my left hip done and then as soon as I could walk, I had my right hip done. Um, so it was probably, I mean, four to six months, no walking at all. I was in a wheelchair, I was on crutches. Um, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't play. I was still part of the team, but I would sit the bench. So I don't know. That was, that was very hard for me mentally, uh, more so than physically. So the perspective I gained in that and like just being grateful for I mean, going up the stairs or walking or getting in and out of bed by yourself was a huge moment for me. So that's kind of what got me into the health and fitness thing, into physiology, kinesiology, orthopedics, that kind of thing. I started shadow surgeons and I love that. I love the OR. Um, but I finished early and I kind of wanted a break. I felt a little burnt out. So my dad suggested this as a way to learn more business, like the business side of things. When you're in a lab all day, or working in medicine, you kind of lose out, I think, honestly, on a lot of the corporate stuff and like a lot of business culture, things that happen on the other side. So it's really cool because my time working with providers and like shadowing surgeons shows me what it's like to be on that side, like the actual physician side. And then now I can see what it's like on the business side and the IT side and how all of it kind of ties together. So 
my background in healthcare is kind of what pushed me to get into healthcare with my current role. And then data analytics and insights was just a natural progression that my boss and I had spoken about and creating a market for it here in Jacksonville. So that's where we are. Wow. <laughs> that's kind of long-winded, sorry. Are you happy? I, I do. That wasn't long-winded at all. Yeah, I do really like it. It's definitely different. Um, again, it's not what you expect. Like you don't dream of being in this industry ever, but it is really cool. And I've learned a lot and I think that you can make an impact here on some of these projects. I mean, for example, one of the projects that we've kind of been speaking about with a client is reference data. So attributing certain data points to patients and with that being able to track if they were released from care early or if they need to stay longer or maybe any predispositions they have to certain conditions and then using analytics tied to social determinants of health. So like, I'm really interested in learning more about um, median incomes and how that plays a role. So median incomes based on a geographic area or zip code or a couple of zip codes and how that plays a role into the predisposition to like hypertension, diabetes, COPD, that kind of thing. Because if you look at more lower income areas, the accessibility to a doctor or to a Publix or a Trader Joe's, whatever it is, a health food store, is very low comparatively to like their accessibility to a quickie mart or fast food, you know? So then you have all of these ease of access oh, yeah. places um, and it's leading to a lot of, I mean, health complications. There was a guy in New York, I, um, I watch a lot of like videos, I guess, TED Talks, and I listen to a lot of podcasts and there was a guy in New York that had noticed this and saw the correlation in his own community, which this was incredible. And he started to plant in the public sidewalk. So in between the sidewalk and the road, there's like that grassy patch. Technically that's public land, like owned by the government, but nobody's doing anything with it. So he started to plant vegetables and like food in that little patch so that the community could have better access to healthy, like healthier options, vegetables and stuff, fruits. Um, and he did see a difference, like so the population started to take from that little, I guess, garden that he created. And there was a lessening in overall, I think it was diabetes that they were trying to fix within this certain area. So there are ways to make it better, but that's kind of where I'm focused on is just kind of making the overall experience for patient, the provider, and the payer, the insurance side, cohesive and beneficial for everybody. <laughs> It's kind of tricky, but yeah. Yeah, no, in that in that way, you're a lot like me, and I, I like patterns. Like I like like what you just described is is probably one of those things. At least it is for me, uh, where you kind of know the answer, right? Okay. You you know what the, the the direction of the correlation that you're gonna find, but just having that data and sorting through it to kind of validate that that assumption that you already have is. It's like it's an addiction. The only issue I see, because when I lived in Spain, when I studied abroad my last semester in college, it was awesome. And there's a lot of homelessness there. And what they they always had orange trees, and it's called Valencia. Uh, orange trees lined the road everywhere, but the taste of the orange, you couldn't eat it or it would give you diarrhea because the fumes of the automobiles poisoned it. So I think that that's a really good solution in the short term if you don't own a plot of land, for example. But what I'm seeing in my community back home in St. Pete, Florida, is that they're actually buying plots of land in underprivileged areas and building legit gardens. But I mean, what he did is beautiful. I just think that in the long term, that's gonna bring its own health issues just because of all the pollution directly next to that garden because obviously plants taken from their surrounding environment. I would say too, I, I mean, I but, had not even considered that, but I would say too, like a long-term, I guess, ramification of what he's doing would be like a liability issue because if people were starting to get sick from the polluted sure. crops, who's like, who's held liable for I guess the government for... right government um I don't know so that's interesting it's definitely I really like to study it a lot of the focus right now in healthcare is on proactive analytics versus reactive so rather than say we had 2,000 and that's probably I mean just I mean it's, that's not even an accurate number that's just a number just for example's sake um 2,000 patients that had diabetes with hypertension or comorbidity whatever um you know, rather than react with the analytics and kind of figure out, 
I guess post post care what's going on try and use mm-hmm. these predispositions of health and trends in health trends in the population trends in their e-commerce habits this is pretty interesting you can track like where they're shopping how likely they are to fill a prescription where they're going to fill the prescription at what time did they get the refill of the prescription those kind of things to see Honestly, like you grade the patient like an A through an F type of thing, similar to how right now in insurance you can grade the physician. You grade the patient for their likelihood to continue in a certain treatment program. And then obviously if the treatment program is not going to work for them, then you can adjust it on the front end rather than wait until they come back for... Oh. So for example, if someone has a lower grade on on this this spectrum that that you've described, you, it would be, as a doctor, a good physician, it would behoove you to give them a plan that is the most accessible because they're less likely to fill up prescription to, to do these things. So you have to make it as easy as possible for them. Whereas someone who has, is an A plus, they're gonna feel that you don't have to take that extra step. Because I imagine there's also a correlation between ease of access and quality of care huge time yeah for sure yeah so ease of access big time so even this is kind of interesting like with smartphones now let's say you're not a patient who would be likely to fill a prescription within three days of them writing it so if they see that you get your prescription filled at cvs and then you're driving by like your smartphone picks up that you're within a half mile radius of your cvs it might send you a e-coupon for your favorite shampoo whatever it is and then you're like oh i'll go buy my shampoo oh while i'm here i'll get my prescription so it kind of like incentivizes you that way or another thought is similar to how spotify recommends music you could recommend meal plans or how your smartwatch says get up and go for a walk those kind of things smart devices are very big right now um and it's kind of back to the cohesive structure you essentially you don't want the patient to come back, obviously, because you want them to be well, but it reflects poorly on the physician for their grades. So you want the patient to be well and not have a repeat occurrence. And then the payer, like the insurance, obviously wants the patient to be well so that they don't have to pay out for more costs, like more costly conditions. Um, I don't know, but it's, it's interesting to try and find a balance between all of it. And you want to be representative of the patient more so than like the organizations, the business drivers behind it. But obviously, you still have to find a cohesive match for everybody. Otherwise, without the ROI on the business side, there's going to be no funding to actually get the project done. Yeah, that's that's has so many layers that you could unpack, but it is fascinating, right? It's fun. Because there's so much room in there, one, to see patterns that are meaningful and to make an impact on any community. It doesn't have to be your community based on those numbers. I mean, numbers don't lie. It's the same same in my industry, but okay. Getting back on track, describe a no. You're fine. I enjoyed that. That's that uh, tailwind of a conversation. But that's something that we could sit here and talk about for hours if we really got going. Describe a major professional or personal fail- failure and how you reacted to it. And I'm real curious on what you're going to say because it seems like just straight up success since you have. <laughs> um. I don't know. Okay, so there was, and it's it's kind of like professional blended with personal. I don't do failure well. Kind. Of, I mean, I do and I don't. So I'm very persistent. I'm very diligent. I'm very disciplined. I definitely buy into like I'm big on mindset, and I buy into the belief that your discipline has to outweigh your motivation at all times. Otherwise, like in workouts, for example, you'd never get it done. Wow. Yeah. So I like don't buy into motivation. I'm not, I haven't heard that. I have not heard that before. You're say that say that again. Um, I don't know how discipline discipline has to outweigh your motivation. I think that's what I said. Um, I mean, your discipline always has to be greater than motivation for sure. Motivation is like to me, it's very quick, it's very fleeting. You might watch like an Inky Johnson video, and I love Inky, and feel so hyped for your morning run, and then by the time you hit noon or lunch hour, you're exhausted and tired, and you lose it. But you have to trust in yourself and trust that day in and day out, whatever reps you put forth, whether it's at work, the gym, life, whatever it is, reps can be metaphorical for whatever. Um, You have to just continue to trust the process and still do it, even though you're not seeing immediate results. So I don't know, that's kind of where I buy into that. But um, 
Yeah, so I kind of hit this point where I had started this job, not, not the job that I'm in, but the, the previous job. I had started this job, I was really excited about it. I mean, fresh out of school, I'm ready to go, I'm in a new city, I moved to Jacksonville. Um, and I, nothing was going as planned. And again, type A, so I like a plan. So the role was not what I was described. Like when I took the position, it was not how it was described to me. Um, the environment was very toxic for who I am as a person. I'm very positive, I'm very direct, I'm very logical, I want to be challenged. It was not giving me that. So I was a little bit discouraged in myself because I felt that I hadn't made the right choice and I felt that you know maybe I didn't understand what was going on. Um, so let's pause there. Let's pause there and unpack. So I, this is a problem that I see in a lot of corporate jobs. The job description that you're interviewed for does not turn out the way it was described to you. Specifically, how was the job described and how did it not match the description or the pitch? Right, so I was promised that I would be trained within like 30 days, whatever, and then I'd be meeting face-to-face -face with patients all day to help them on stem cells and BRP. Um, I maybe saw one patient in the months that I was there. I wasn't allowed to see patients. Oh, wow. I was told that I couldn't see them. I don't, I don't know. And it wasn't like a training issue because when I asked for feedback, there was no feedback. It was very positive until it wasn't positive and then all of a sudden it kind of came to a head. Um, and it was a very, I mean, it was a very good experience for me because I learned a lot, but definitely, I don't know. It just, yeah, it was not what it, I mean, it was kind of, I specifically, oh, go ahead. Specifically, how was it toxic? Because I think a lot of people, because what we're supposed to do here is take your experience and use that to teach other people. So how, in a toxic workplace, for those who have not experienced that yet, will literally ruin your life. You could have the best home life in the world and then just have a toxic job and it feels like the world is ending around you. Like you won't sleep, you won't eat. It's that's honestly why I left court. I knew immediately I could no longer work in a corporate America setting in my industry because I love my industry because I don't, I just don't have the personality to be successful in a corporate setting because I can't, I'm like you, I'm very direct and very transparent to the point where I overshare. And in a corporate setting, you, you if you're like that to the wrong person that's above you on the ladder, you're blackballed. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the, the culture in that original job, and I don't want to speak negatively about anybody, I, I think the dynamic and how I stepped into the dynamic, um, I don't know, it was very, honestly, like the way that I was spoken to was kind of degrading and demeaning, and again, when I asked for feedback, there was no clear feedback provided, so I was kind of, I mean, I was at a loss as to what to do. Like you said, I was literally dreaming about it. I still, to this day, sometimes have like, I don't I don't call them nightmares, because like when I'm dreaming, I, I, I don't feel like I'm dreaming, but I literally still, to this day, get some anxiety over it. It was so, so bad that I wasn't happy, I was miserable at home, I was miserable when I was going there, I had to walk on eggshells when I was there because I didn't know what kind of mood everybody would be in, would I get screamed at today or would I get a pat, pat on the back, who knows. Um, I don't know, so it was a lot, and I, I, honestly, this sounds maybe a little bit silly, but it got to the point where I saw this quote on Pinterest, and it said, you are literally killing yourself for a job who would replace you within a week if you were to die. And I remember I like saw it and I was like, it's a great, great quote. It is so true, you know, so true. So, so true. Yeah. So I left and just like kind of segueing, I guess I left there. Um, and to hit on the failure, like that was really unsettling for me because I'm, I'm a people person. I love to make other people happy. I have a homeless man on the corner that I bring food to. I buy him Publix. Like I just love to make people feel good. I like to I like people to be seen, um, and that's like for everybody. You're a pleaser, I am too. I, I love it, yeah. Um, I don't know, so I was very upset that I was having interpersonal problems with the people that I worked with because of the, the environment, because I'm definitely not one that does that. I'm not one who typically has problems with others, so I was hurt by that. Um, and then, you know, honestly, <laughs> Jacksonville was not what I had anticipated. I didn't choose to come here necessarily. I kind of came here for 
for a boy. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So we, I mean, we came here and it, it's a good city, but at first it was very hard. And then I had actually started the, the job that I'm in now in February of the first year that we got here. So February of 2019, I started there and he left for the off season and I was here by myself. I hadn't started the job yet. So I was by myself in a city. I had no friends. I didn't know anybody. I really, I didn't know anything. I didn't have a job. I didn't like, I, I don't know. It was just kind of, I felt so alone. It sounds kind of dramatic, but. Well, I, I, and just no, it's not dramatic. I went through the same phase. Like when I moved here, I had to, it was a month before I would partner with the, um, the firm that I'm at now. And I just had like a month, I didn't have kids yet. And I had a month to just kind of be by myself. It's and I remember seven. just, it's unsettling. And I think we fear or resent what we don't understand. And I didn't understand Jacksonville because I came from Tampa and St. Pete where there's always something to do. Everything's in a pretty close area. And then I had, I was like, this place is so big, so spread out, I hate it. But what, what I did, and this can go for the audience, anyone speaking, when you move to a new place, whether it's for a boy or for a job or on your, who cares? If you go to a new place and you are just terrified because you don't know, immerse yourself in the community commerce center. So there's, that, and that's what I did. I Two weeks went by, I was depressed. I believe it was also, um, he had left to go train somewhere for off season. So I was just, I was alone. And I did, to be honest, didn't even really know, at the time he was my boyfriend, didn't even really know my boyfriend that well. It was my first time living with him. So I just, you feel so alone. I just, I went to the chamber of commerce and I joined a women's counseling group. I, I joined the small business bureau and the young professionals network. And that building a community, no matter where you are, is so important in a new area. So like what, what might seem like failure because you know, you just, you hate everything around you, but at the same time, you feel like you're so blessed on the back end. So you feel stupid even saying you hate everything around you. Join, there's community resources there for a reason. Anyone who's like, I hate it here, or, um, you know, they say they hate Jacksonville or they hate the city they're in. I, I ask them, have you joined any clubs? Have you joined any, any uh, networks? Have you gone to any networking? Facebook has so many networking events on it. And if they say, no, I haven't, then I just say, shut up because you're is not you trying. Just like, is, is Facebook where you found the groups? Cause I, I, I don't know. I'm I may, yes. In joining some, like I definitely would be interested in joining some. I didn't join any to get out of my little depressed funk, but um, I don't know. I think I think that's a really good idea. It is. I I swear by it. It's okay. So to join the networks, you go to the Jacksonville Chamber. Uh, I think it's called Chamber of Commerce, and they just they have all of the all these I, young professional YPN is a good one. Um, professional Women's Council is a really good one. There, I mean, there's one for almost every industry. And then Facebook, I challenged myself again before children. I challenged myself three days a week, I would go to a networking event. Just anyone that seemed, and I ended up in some, like I went to a, a networking event that was only for realtors and I didn't read the description. I didn't realize it, I'm not a realtor. So I was the only person not, but I met some, badass people there and I got up and I spoke about who I was and how I just came into this networking event not knowing and I'm totally efficient met so many cool people so and I as someone who's in the league with you and, and in a similar position it's so important to have people outside of this life that are going to still be there when you leave it yeah, yeah so build like that community now I feel like that was it was kind of, I don't know, it was kind of a trifecta. I left that one job. I was in between the other job. He left for the NF, like for off season, NFL off season. But I mean, even just the adjustment of going to the NFL. So like we kind of had a big year. We left college. I feel like college to real life is kind of a jump. You have to like get furniture and have a house. And I mean, obviously these are all great blessings to have. I've been on mission trips, so I'm fortunate to even be in this position. Um, but it was, I, I don't know, it was just a lot for me. Of course. And then I didn't join clubs. I had kind of, I reevaluated myself. And I've always been, I don't know, my mom says I marched to the beat of my own drum. I kind of just do my own thing. I'm a little bit quirky, nerdy, and I'm totally, totally content with that. But in that period of time, I was feeling a lot of anxiety. I was feeling very insecure. 
So I wanted to spend a lot of time alone and kind of sit in what I was feeling. So I would come home, I'd wake up, I'd go to the gym, I'd do whatever. And even once I started the job, I'd come home and I would do, it was kind of bizarre, I don't know. And I feel like maybe you know this because you have kids and I have a husband, but I had always had roommates in college. I had lived at home before that. So I had sisters, I had my parents. Um, and then as soon as I got to Jacksonville, I lived with him. So I had never really been alone alone. And it, it was kind of cool to reframe like, what do you want to do today? Cause it wasn't, what does everybody want to do? Or like, what do you want to do together? It was literally Micah in this moment, what do you want to do? And I got to kind of just spend time with myself. I went to the zoo, I would go on runs, I would go for a drive, I'd go explore Jacksonville. Oh, wow. Yeah, honestly, it was, it was very settling. Um, it was very reassuring, because like at the end of the day, I know me, I'm good, I'm, I'm good to have myself. And once I kind of re-solidified the foundation of like who I am, that's kind of when things started to kind of fall in place and align. That's when I started to hit a groove at work and then get promoted and our relationship got better because I wasn't as insecure and needy. I was kind of doing my own thing, you know? I don't know, it was, it was a weird time at first, but after a few months, it was great. <laughs> So where was the failure in that? <laughs> it's so interesting when I have these conversations because people will tell me their failure and I'll be like, but how, why do you dig deeper into it? Why, which part of that was a failure and why was that a failure to you? Right, so I don't perceive failure as like a missed event. So I'll give examples just so you can I like kind of understand my mindset. If you miss a PR at the gym, to me, not a failure because you tried, you did it, you're gonna hit it the next time or the next time or the next time. You know, there's no there's no ceiling to when you can hit that. At work, say you don't get the proposal or you don't get the promotion, whatever it is, not a failure because you can do it again, you can try again, you can learn, you can get quantitative feedback. I'm big on that, I need direct feedback. This was very much like, when I was little, I, I mean, I'm still a little bit weird and I'm kind of re-embracing who I am, but when I was little, I would literally introduce myself as Batman. I don't do that anymore, but I'm, I'm just trying to paint a picture of, I was a little bit- Thank naked. God. Like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not Batman, but um, I don't know. I just kind of did my own thing. I'd wear like boots and boxers, and this is when I was really little. But I, I would think back when I was in this moment and I was, I was feeling so dependent on him because I came to this city for him. Honestly, I was feeling resentment because I was like, I came here for you and you left. Like you left in the off season and I'm here, like, what am I supposed to do? You know, I, mm -hmm. I don't know, so there was a resentment. Oh, I feel that in my soul. It was, I mean, it was just, it was a lot um, emotionally. And then I, I, I felt like I failed with that first job because what did I do wrong to make it have such, I mean, such a negative experience. Everybody else was seemingly okay with their job, so what did I do that, I mean, it was, it was like water and oil. It was, we did not mix it all there, so. I don't know, there was that, and I just kind of thought about myself as a kid, and I was like, if you could tell five-year-old Micah or like six-year-old Micah that this is where you are, I mean, like, it's just sad, because if I would have told five or six-year-old Micah, this is what you've done, you followed a boy, you moved to a city, he's not here, you're here by yourself now, you don't have a job because your first job sucked, so you've left that job because you just couldn't deal with it. First of all, I'm not one that gives up, so I don't like the couldn't deal with it mentality. So okay. I was feeling a little bit of like angst there. And then emotionally, like you call him because you don't have any friends, but why don't you have friends? Well, because you're doing this, whatever it was, I was like ashamed. This sounds so dramatic, but like to look at myself in the mirror, I would look at myself no, and it's I, not would, dramatic at I would all. hate who I was. I hated it. I hated it's it depression. so much. I didn't, want, I didn't want to be here anymore. I didn't want to be, I mean, and I don't mean like life. I love life. I'm very grateful again, but I just, I didn't want to be in Jacksonville. I was reevaluating everything at that point in time. My best friend moved to Australia. So I was like, I need to go. Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know. So that, that was kind of like a failure to me because I would never want to look back at who I was. I was so authentic and I mean, I love people that have quirky little hobbies or personalities because it means that they're them and they're not trying to be some carbon copy of someone they saw on the internet or something. So I wasn't trying to be a copy of people. I just wasn't being my authentic self. And I felt that in my insecurity, in my anxiety, because I feel like if you're really yourself at the end of the day, you gotta say, I know me, I'm good. You can look yourself in the mirror 
and say, did you do your best today? Yes. You could lie to anybody else. I could lie to my boss. I could lie to my boyfriend. I could lie to anybody and say, hey, yeah, I did my best today. I'll, I'll hit it again tomorrow. But you know when you make eye contact with yourself in the mirror, like, did you do your best? You know. You can say yes, but you know in your oh. heart, no, you didn't, you know? So. For sure. I was it's just so interesting because I feel like it all, yeah, no, and I feel like it all stems from the initial perceived failure at that job. And I told, oh, I can't. I can't even describe to you how much I resonate with it. There's going to be people that watch this that I work with in my original corporate job. And it's just, I've always had, I would say my quirk was, it has always been oversharing. Like, it drives my husband crazy. Like, he'll get there and I'll just like, <laughs> word vomit. And he'll kick me under the table and I'll forget we're around. And why did you just kick me? And he'll be like, oh my God. Yeah. I, I would say that's my quirk. And it just, it, maybe in other people's situation it works, but my job just made me feel so guilty for have, for being that way, for being what I had always told was a, a great quality to have, transparency, honesty. If you are too transparent or you overshare and it's in a hyper-professional setting, which my job was, it's, it's frowned upon. You're not supposed to be too different. You're not supposed to be too outspoken. You're not supposed to be opinionated you can have an opinion but you have to know when to in corporate america in the finance industry still today you have to know when your personality is just a little too different or when you're just a little too opinionated you have to roll over on your back and show your belly depending on who you're at in the conversation in the room and i just am not good i might be just a tiny bit autistic in that way I am just not good at picking up the social cues of, all right, stop explaining that or stop having too much of an opinion on that. So I did terrible. So I feel that. And then you try harder because you don't know what else to do. So like people make you feel guilty for that. You just you just try to be yourself even even freaking harder. I feel and like it just it makes you more of a pariah. The try hard attitude in that setting, like I feel like <laughs> That is so, so real as a human element, I guess, is that as soon as someone starts treating you a type of way, like like in work, if your boss gives you negative feedback, you want to make up for it because you find yourself lacking, which I feel is just a mindset that needs to change because you're not lacking. It could just be the two Lego pieces didn't fit, whatever it is. But I feel like that yes. and that job translated into work because I mean, and then I would call and I had nothing to do, but he's out there training and doing whatever. So I'm just sitting here. And then I found myself lacking at work. So I found myself lacking in the relationship. And then you start to nitpick and you start to try and over, like overcompensate for, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, it's just, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre thing. It's a bizarre thing to go through. Corporate America is definitely weird. My yes, company that I'm with now on the overshare topic, <laughs> They're great. The culture is unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable culture. Um, and I definitely think that's a good thing. I am very, very much, I am emotional, but I'm not a crier. I'm not a hugger. I'm not a toucher. I, I, feel, I feel the emotion. I just don't necessarily show it outwardly. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. My company, honestly, Kindle, could be a good fit for you. <laughs> they, they, I mean, they share so much. And at, at first it was very like, disconcerting to me. I was kind of like, this is bizarre. This I feel is like a test. Corporate America, I was like, yeah, I feel like someone's gonna say, gotcha, you shared something. And I still, to this day, I don't like to overshare um, because immediately I feel regret after I overshare. I'm like, hmm, was that too much? Um, but it is cool. And I would say as cliche as it sounds, like I have a bunch of tattoos. And they all have to do with death. <laughs> I didn't realize that until the most recent <laughs> tattoo that I got. The, the lady was like, do you have a trend oh my God. here? And I, was I like, didn't know that. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that the theme that I had going was death. But um, in the job or in anything, it sounds so, so cliche. But like in a relationship, you'll find who you're meant to be with. Someone who doesn't care that like you're, you overshare. You know what I'm saying? Or... You'll find a job in a company or shit. I mean, do it yourself. You don't you don't have to do it with anybody else's dime. Build your own company. Right. Where those kind of values are appreciated. And I think in that moment, you're going to see that you're living for yourself. You're doing your own thing. And it's like a cool place to be, you know, because at the end of the day, you're unrocked. You're un unbothered, unwavered. Nothing can, nothing can phase you. And I think that, I think that's a really cool spot to be in. I agree. I agree. And that's a good segue into the... 
Yeah, and it's a perfect segue into the next one, which is what could someone earlier on in their journey, but on the same path, learn from your failure? And I want to stick to this, uh, the t realizing that you're in a toxic job situation or a personal situation, honestly. The key to me when I finally, and it took me a year, it took me a year to go from this is toxic to I need to get the fuck out of here ASAP. And um, the realization was when it depended on who I was talking to. But if I was talking to anyone that even, even was just like one tiny rung above me in, in the corporate ladder hierarchy, I would try, and I didn't even realize I was doing it at first. I would try to become and morph, go chameleon into the person that they wanted me, I thought that they wanted me to be. So for example, I had a direct report who was very materialistic. Nothing against it, I like nice stuff too. But she, she was very materialistic. So when I would get my bonus, I would talk about like this materialistic thing I was gonna buy because I thought that that was a way for her to like me, for her to bond with me. And it was after that conversation, I, I remember leaving her office and being like, I'm absolutely not gonna go buy red bottoms with my bonus. Like, why did I even just, why did I just lie to her and say that? Like, I, and it was because I thought that that's what she wanted to hear. So for people that I would say, and you can comment on this too, but in, from my perspective and my experience, as soon as you realize that you are acting wildly out of character to please someone else, I'm not saying you have to leave corporate America, but you're in the wrong corporate job. You're in the wrong position. Even if, maybe if you love your company and its values, its philosophy, its goals, its product, whatever, try to go to a different department. And people that worked in that department with me who were also unhappy, they stayed at the company because it was a great company. They just went to a different department. So that would be my, you know, deliverable, some direct advice that you can use and, and execute on. Look for a new job quickly before you get so bitter and resentful that you ruin your chance of upward mobility within that umbrella company. Yeah, I would say, what I, yeah, on that, I would say that, um, a lot of it when you realize so it's almost hard to realize that you're in a toxic setting until you're in the toxic setting like you might not realize that this is abnormal behavior that you're experiencing in corporate america if we're sticking to like the corporate thing or in a relationship whatever it is because you've grown accustomed to it and i'm big into like psychology and stuff like that and it is a very manipulative thing for people to do in positions of power, whether that be again in a relationship or in like the corporate hierarchical structure. Um, and I'm not even I'm not even sure that they're aware of it, but you can manipulate people by giving negative feedback, very aggressive negative feedback, or manipulating behaviors, whatever it is. And then when the behavior sways to what you appreciate, you give high praise. So then the person receiving the praise. I mean, they crave that because prior to that, you were so, so aggressively negative um, that, you know, obviously they don't want to be, they don't want to be shat on the whole time. So they, they try mm -hmm. and make the behaviors to get that praise. So I would say just kind of like be aware. It sounds again, cliche, but your gut knows when something's up and share your experiences. I feel like this is something that's coming out in corporate America. I don't know, Kendall, if you've seen this at all, but I mean, your experience as a whole, whether your experience with your boss, hey, I just went in for my year annual whatever review on my performance. This is what we went over, this is what was discussed, whatever, have a buddy in your office, a mentor, whoever it is to discuss these milestones or events or meetings so you can kind of gauge, hey, cool, that's how mine went too. Whether you get the same feedback or not, make sure that like things are cohesive or pay structure I work for an organization, pay structure is very transparent, which is nice because you can calculate everybody's paycheck and because we, I mean, we have commission structure as well. So you can kind of figure out what people are making and they're very transparent on helping people get to their goals, which is nice. But I've that seen in nice. corporate America, yeah, that, you know, I mean, I hate, <laughs> hate to play the female card, but you have people that are getting paid X amount and people that are getting paid Y amount and they don't match up, but they might be in the exact same position with the exact same description. So I would say, if you're worried that you're in a toxic environment, if you can trust someone that you're with in that culture that experiences the same culture, you know, sound it off with them. Or I would come home and tell my boyfriend what was said to me in that environment. Like, oh, he said this, this, and this. And I mean, after I said it to a couple of people, they were like, are you crazy? 
And I literally was like, cause they, I mean, it was my first job. I was like, is this not normal? And they were like, that is, I mean, not only is that an HR this might be normal, but like, I mean, that's, that's verbal abuse, you know? So I don't know. Um, I would say too, just like something to be aware of when you're taking a position. And this is something that I should have considered very strongly. Again, when you're first out of school, you kind of, I mean, you just don't know. You're just happy to have a job. Right. Oh, if the HR I did it. I need it. Right, right. If the HR department is who you report to, like, and you'll never in an actual corporate hierarchy of structure, you'll never report to HR. You'll have a boss. But in that environment, it was such a small environment that if I filed a complaint to HR, who approves it, who denies it, whatever, is the owner. And who do I report to is the owner. Um, so, I mean, how do, you, how do you file a complaint against someone who runs everything? So... I would say just be aware of that um and then put yourself first you know it sounds so dumb i've been in positions where you just have to make money i worked hibachi i worked with a hibachi waitress i worked in kids club at the gym i nannied i drove kids to school i would do people's school work for money like i get it um but i would say just be just be yeah but this is career this is career right yeah, I would say be aware, but you said something powerful and that is find a mentor. And I think mentor, I mean, it's such a broad word. It's not someone that literally you have to meet with every single month and have a two hour, three hour phone conversation that gives you step, but no, that's a, that's a paid coach, which is also fine, but know the difference. It's a lot to ask someone to, hey, hey, be my mentor for free. Give me hours of your life and give me direct, like, if you have that, you're, you're blessed, but don't expect someone to just come off their personal life. But you can find someone who is ideally more seasoned in that career. Like at my old job, I, there was a few people that I would speak to who you know, had 10 years on me, who I would run things by. And, and a lot of the times, and going back to what you said before, you're like, oh yeah, that's not normal. It might be normal, because a lot of the things that were happening to me happened to them, or still happens to them. They were just handling that, what I perceived as failure, which was, you know, getting negative feedback. I perceive this, especially when you're trying your best, I wasn't handling it well. They handled fine. They they needed the structure of you did bad. All right, let me change this. Oh, you did good. They, they, they I mean, they've been doing that job for 20, 30 years and they were still there. So I'm assuming that they just, their response to that failure was totally different than mine, which is why it's so important to gauge how you personally respond to feedback and not so much compared to other people, but finding someone in your industry, your field, your specific job that is more seasoned will give you a good benchmark of, all right, this is how I handle it. This is how they handle it, but it's happening to them too. So it's not me, it's the job. Another thing you said, which I wanna unpack a little bit is psychology. If you think you're in a toxic situation, despite the industry, honestly, if it's a relationship or a career, study psychology just pick up a book google the psychological response or google manipulation so that you can specifically identify a behavior either that you're having or that someone else is doing and i think that will help you take an emotional component out of the situation because for in a toxic job a lot of it a lot of the failure and the defeat comes from your emotional response Removing that as much as you can is crucial to handling it more efficiently. And I think that when, when you define it and within psychology, in a manual, a book, you find a study, you find a paper written on it, you can separate, you can write down a pros and cons list and decide, all right, it's me, I need to change this, or it's the job and I need to get out. Because guys, it, when you're just starting out in your career, very few people, I don't know the, I'm not going to quote it because I don't know the exact number, but very few people, maybe in our parents' generation, stay at the same job right out of college for 20, 30 years, receive a pension. That's, that's, that's our parents' generation. Most people are jumping around because the beginning years of your career are the formative years where you, oh my God, where you need to find, <laughs> where you need to find where you fit or at least find your industry, find because that's what goes on your resume to get you to the next level, or those are the skills that you learn to start your own business successfully, to increase your, your chances of being successful. 
So don't waste, you know, the first five years out of college being in a toxic job because it pays you 75 grand and that's good for just coming out of college. Don't, I would never, ever settle for that. Okay, on that note, I, I have a couple of things just to add. Okay, so first on the 75 grand, do not assume that what you are making is the norm for your position because I had assumed in my previous role that I was making good money. Again, fresh out, you don't know much. That's good. No, come to, come to find out. I mean, the market right now, again, I work in IT services and staffing, so I'm more on the services side, but we have the staffing component. The market right now for you to get a job is booming. We have more positions in every industry that mm -hmm. we do have, like, have people to fill them. So in IT for, like, specifically, the average tenure, like, to hit off of what Kendall said, for any contract or position is 6 to 18 months. On average, people are spending 18 months, roughly, give or take, in a role before they bounce to a new gig to learn new skills, to get a better culture, to whatever, to get better pay. I would say too, once you find out, like cool, you know, you take this job and you're making 50 grand just for number's sake. And then, you know, you get a promotion and now you're making 65. 65 is your new benchmark. And then you can move again in 18 months. And now you're making 75 because you've gained XYZ skills during your $65,000 job. Now you have 75,000. That's your new benchmark going forward. Um, so I would just like keep that in mind. And then with the emotional thing that we hit on a little bit earlier, I'm again, very logical, very objective. You have to, you have to think about what's triggering you to have that emotional response. So I had learned in school that, and this kind of just stuck with me for whatever reason, again, I'm big on mindset, but when you have an emotion, there's like six key emotions, like anger, um, sadness, whatever it is, that is a response from external stimuli. Okay, cool. So you get this negative feedback. Mm -hmm. Immediately you're like, I'm angry. I put 37 hours into this presentation, whatever it is. And you're angry because the feedback is not what you had hoped or had like what you had expected. First of all, expectations are trash. Get rid of them. But mm -hmm. I would say when you hear that, what is triggering you to be angry? Take a pause if you can. Again, emotional response, anger. What you do with the anger or with the emotion is completely in your control. And I'm big on that because in psychology, sports psychology specifically, things that are in your control boost motivation. So if you can control your performance on your daily scrum meeting or like for Kindle, I don't know if this is accurate for what you do, but like how many clients you reach out to in a day. If you can control that number, you're autonomy in that task boosts motivation because you can say yes i can do that the things that you can't control how many people yes. actually sign with you you can control that like so in track if you can control how fast you get off the block and you can train for that cool you can't control if usain bolt shows up the day of the event you'll lose you know so yeah. I don't know, with that you have to kind of evaluate what's triggering the emotional response and on a personal, like this is kind of a personal thing, but I was starting to feel, I would see certain people, a certain aesthetic, if you will, and I would automatically get these negative, like preconceptions about this person. And I would say, oh God, no, I don't wanna be their friend, but why? And then I would evaluate what about them is making you feel like, I mean, you haven't even spoken words to them. So why do you feel that way? Oh, well, you know, it's because you're insecure about XYZ. Or really, when you see this, this is what you feel like you're lacking. And then typically, like, this is a little bit bizarre to, to have a correlation, but like Maslow's heart hierarchy of needs. If you think about what's mm -hmm. making you feel that way, I feel like you can be insecure in more than just like your aesthetics. You can be insecure in your money or your job or your positioning at your job, whatever it is. So if you get negative yes. feedback and you're competing for a promotion, your response is gonna be drastically different than if you feel confident in your ability to perform, if that makes sense. So I would just say, take a second. If you oh, can, it makes a ton a of sense. Um, and just kind of evaluate why you're, why you're triggering that response, the emotional response, and then address yourself. <laughs> because at the end of the day, you are the only thing that you can control. There was, um, this is kind of a different thing too, but there was a, a guy that I saw, he was special forces in the military. And he said that his biggest life advice would be, if you're going through something, whatever event it may be, 
and you're stressed about it or you're anxious or you're, again, emotional response, whatever the emotion is, list out everything that is triggering the response. Okay, so I feel insecure because Jonathan, whoever that is, did better on his presentation than I did at work. And I feel insecure because he got good feedback and I got negative feedback, whatever. List out the things, write them out, and then cross out how many you cannot control. And then you'll see if you oh, actually don't have this. control over it. Yeah, if you don't have control over it, at the end of the day, all you can do is control yourself. And that's why evaluating those emotional responses is so important because you can control the response. And if you can control the response, you can learn to train the response. And if you can train the response, then you can create the negative response to trigger a positive response, like a positive action response. And the action is what dictates the success. Because if you just dwell in the emotional, I don't know, bewilderment or like the muddle of all the emotions, there's actually gonna be no, I mean, there's no positive benefit. So you'll sit there angry, you'll sit there upset, and then that's when you get the resentment and you start to gossip and you do all these negative actions that aren't benefiting you in any way. So I don't know. It's it's yes. all connected, but I know, I love that. No, but that's, this goes back, and I feel like I say this on every Failure Friday and every interview I do, and this is just how my brain works, but to speak to that list, I write every situation that does not go my way or that I feel like I need to process, I write it down. And the reason I do that is not necessarily as uh, defined as what she just described, it's because I don't know what it's called, but if a, situ a confrontation specifically happens, I will think for the rest of my life before I go to bed, I will flash back to that confrontation and I will think of the different ways I wish I responded. And it haunts me. It could be a tiny confrontation, like a waiter who gave me attitude about, and I didn't, I didn't give her attitude back. Like I will think about that for six freaking years. So I, the only way to make that go away and stop keeping me up at night is to write it down and process the situation and process what exactly made me mad and then work on that aspect of my personal story. My, what Maybe I need to study more or I need to grow more in that area. I mean, that, and that leads me back to, to summarize everything that Micah just said, self-awareness. You are not perfect. You will never be perfect. You will, fuck up a lot. You will screw up the people around you. It's your second reaction is so much more important than your first reaction, which is really the basis of this entire podcast. So Micah, in what ways has this failure or failure in general positively shaped your behaviors, character, psychology today? So, okay, you kind of took the answer. I am very self-aware, very much so. If I feel some sort of negative energy, if I feel jealous of someone or I see someone and this, this is going to be such like a vapid response or vapid example, but if I see someone and immediately my response is that bitch, oh my God, that bitch, like whether it's a female, a male, whatever, they're, whatever they're doing, my instant in my head, I'm like, oh God, I roll. I don't want to be a part of this. I immediately pause and I'm like, hold the phone. Why? Why don't you? Especially if I don't know them. What are you doing? Like, Micah, come on. Like, listen to what they have to say. You might learn something. I'm big, big, big. Replace your ego with humility. <laughs> Sit the F down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I genuinely believe that you can learn something from everybody. So just be aware. And then part of being aware is not necessarily speaking when... There's no need to speak. And I would say this has gone far for me in corporate America. I am a speaker. I love to lead people. I love to challenge thoughts and ideas. If you don't need to, sit back and listen. Watch the other emotions in the room. Watch what people are thinking. Watch why they're saying the way they're saying things because I guarantee you, if it's important to them, they will say it more than once. So, I would say just be aware of yourself and then in your awareness of yourself, reflect that onto others, like be aware of what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I feel like when you do that, when you can sit well with yourself at the end of the day and you can see, I guess, be more empathetic and see why others are doing the things that they do. You know, for example, you might see someone lash out and immediately your response is like, the 
fuck are you doing? Like, and that's what, that's like myself talking in my head. I'm like, what the, like, you want to throw hands? Let's throw hands. <laughs> I'm not going to fight anybody. I'm very non-confrontational, but in my head, <laughs> I'm like ready to pull my hoops in out. your head. <laughs> like, I mean, it's yeah. crazy, but yeah, I would say just like being aware and then seeing why they're doing something. Most of the time, they're responding to whatever emotional trigger they had. So if Susie from HR is screaming at you about XYZ, well, she likely needs to meet her numbers or her boss is going to scream at her, whatever it is. Um, I don't know. If you can sit with yourself and understand yourself and slow it down. My boss always says this and I love this. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So rather than go quickly through everything, slow it down, do it well, do it smoothly, and then that will replicate like the fast behavior because the faster you do it, the messier it is, the more you have to go back, whatever. Um, And then the journaling, again, to slow it down. There's a book that I like, Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. That one's really good. And um, I will literally journal in German. I can speak German, but my, I mean, my German is not, I guess great is my English, but I'll journal in German because it slows it down enough that I'm not just half-assing my... Ooh, I like that. I don't half-ass my whatever I'm trying to write because you have to be very aware and very intentional in what you're writing. Otherwise, I mean, nobody's going to check your grammar in your journal, but... No, um, but you can't zone out. Right. Yeah. I like that a lot. So you would say that how failure has shaped you is that you have improved on all of those areas that you just mentioned. Yes. Purposefully, with intent. Be very, very intentional. Yeah, I would say that's like my mottos. I have three core values, authenticity, integrity, and I honestly can't remember the other one. Usually I'm I'm audible. (laughs) Three core values, authenticity, integrity, and... I don't honestly work ethic. Oh my god. Okay, that's it. Work ethic. Sorry. I don't know how I blame space yeah. on it, but we're not editing that out, by the way. Like, that was great. Totally fine. I know. This is my three cores, and I forgot one. Um, yeah, work ethic, work ethic, authenticity, and integrity. Those are the three things I live by. And then like hitting on the tattoo thing that I mentioned earlier. I have one that says memento mori, and it means remember your death. So I feel like at the end of the day, knowing that you could cease to exist tomorrow or at this very moment. I mean, it's kind mm-hmm. of morbid, but I'm big into stoicism and they meditate on your death. Um, yeah, so just knowing that you could cease wow. to exist tomorrow, how are you going to show up today as your authentic self in that moment? And the reason I say in that moment is because the way that you're feeling today is not the way that you're going to feel tomorrow. And like, I guess an analogy into the fitness thing would be your one rep max today, your perceived one rep max might be 215 on squats. Tomorrow, because you're sore, you might only hit one rep for 205 or 195, whatever it is. Your body, your muscles, your C, like central nervous system, CNS, will still perceive the effort as a one rep max. You see visually that the numbers are not the same, but you'll perceive the same effort. So with that, how are you today showing up as your authentic self in that moment? And then I would say just give yourself grace to recognize that today's best might not equal tomorrow's best or Wednesday's best or Thursday's best, whatever it is. Um, but in the day, just do your best. In the moment, do your best. Um, I don't know. It sounds it sounds kind of lame. It doesn't. I mean, I the moments in the moment, to go back to what you just said, I mean, that's really all you got. Right here, right now. Literally, yeah. Literally, all you're guaranteed is right now, and every moment that passes is is another unknown. So Um, I mean, mean, you you nailed it so much on the head. I feel like you've led this talk, and I'm just so. (laughs) No, this is no, this is great. No, this is great. Like you've said, you were nervous, and you're 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 killing it. I tend to talk a lot. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I try. This is like maybe my last little tangent. I'll let you take it over, Kendall. But like with the, so the memento mori I have as a tattoo, I have a Japanese phrase, yukio. It means like a floating state detached from the bothers of life. And then I have cherry blossoms that go with that. And cherry blossoms are like significant for their fleeting nature because they're only alive for two weeks. But in the two weeks, people travel the world to see like their beauty. So I always try and keep that in, like in mind and in perspective. Um, 
is that like literally kind of like YOLO <laughs> except more spiritual. No, it's just, it's funny because I knew that, I knew those random facts because I did a fourth grade project on the cherry blossom tree. And you just like, I feel like full circle, like, wow. Like 10 year old Kendall and 25 year old Micah are on the same page. Yeah. I was like, why do I know that? Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I don't know. And if, I would say too, like, if anyone's ever struggling mentally, I don't buy in. And I don't know, Kendall, maybe this is like kind of a controversial topic for some people. I don't buy into the bullshit self-help books. I think they're all so vapid and it's very easy for someone in a position of success to tell you how to get there. So when, when I was like really down and feeling so, I don't know, negative thoughts, whatever, I would listen to these podcasts and I would get angry because I was like, this bitch, like, of course you're having a great life in La Jolla, California, telling me how to make millions. I'm like, I don't relate. I don't relate at all. But I would say on that note, that's when you should pick up the psychology book or pick up the stoicism books or like philosophy books, whatever it is. Stoicism, yes. I am big on. Um, Marcus Aurelius, the meditations, great. Uh, just because you can kind of see why you're feeling the way you are and eliminate all the bullshit what is necessary in this moment for you to pick up from it. Cool, let's move forward. That's it. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to link those because I have not read either of those, but I, I agree. It depends on the situation, but I definitely feel that. Like there was, I was reading a Tony Robbins book and it, I was just having, I was going through one of those ruts. It was just a month of just stress. I remember reading it being like, okay, this shit makes sense, but I'm not, like, you're coming from a place that I'm not even mentally there. Like, this doesn't even, like, there's so many steps here. Like, just give me what I need to do to feel better. So I get, that's, and then I think that's really important because self-help, depending on the book you're reading, can be so vague just because it appeals to the masses when it, the more vague it is. But I think that deliberately, if you're truly in a rut, you're truly looking for growth, you need to find something that has no emotional foundation, like what you're saying, directly look into the psychological study of that particular emotion or that particular behavior. And I don't know any books, but you just named some off the top of your head and I'm gonna have Weston link those here. But that was very helpful. Thank you so much, Micah, for coming to my chaos of a podcast and talking about failure, which is not what people on social media are typically talking about right now. And I don't know if you're drinking. Are you, are you drinking anything? I had, so yeah, I had like a, it's Little Big Town. It's, they have like these day drinking punches. I don't know, it's pretty good. It's my game day drink of choice, but I didn't drink much on you're game kidding. day, so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got this wine from Target, but I'll have Weston link it because it's pretty delicious. Um, but yeah, okay, everyone, this is another episode of Failure Friday with Micah Wiley. Did I say it right? Wiley? Willie? Wiley? Wiley, like the kind of Wiley, yeah. Okay, good, I got it right. I should have even doubted myself. See, <laughs> self-doubt. Um, thank you so much for coming. I'm going to link all of her social media as well as the drink she just mentioned and the wine that I'm drinking in case you're interested. And uh, thanks for coming. Anybody who wants to be on this podcast, you can definitely DM me. We are booked out until I think it's March of next year. Wow, but if you own a business or you have, I know, I'm so happy because it's, I wasn't, I was just doing this because this was something we did as children. And I was getting frustrated with a lot of my clients were coming, especially during COVID. Like there's so much positive stuff on social media. And I just, I don't feel it. Like I don't understand how everyone's life is going so well. It's like, you know what, let's let's talk about how we fucked up and how Love we that. made us better business owners, better parents, better friends, better spouses. And um, it's gotten a lot of positive feedback. So I'm, I'm glad I'm delivering something of value. And I hope to continue to have conversations like this with people like Micah. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>